Hello, and welcome to the Covenant Fellowship Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us. Today's message is here to help you preach the good news everywhere in your day-to-day life. Here at Covenant Fellowship, we accomplish this by encountering God, loving people, and serving others with everything we've got. Now let's dive in. Let's uh, let's study a little bit. Let's go through this a little bit. You have your outline in front of you. Let me read just a little bit of this introduction. Lesson number one, the origin and nature of demons. And you say, why are we doing this? Well, when we read the scripture, we find out that Jesus cast out demons. Satan is talked about in the scripture. The Where does the origin of evil that we see in our world manifest? Where does that all come from? I think it's extremely important to take a look at this. God didn't leave it out of His Bible. And the Bible says in New Testament, Timothy, that all Scripture is inspired of God, God God-breathed, and given to us for correction, instruction, uh, reproof, rebuke, exhortation. In other words, everything that we need to fix us so that we are thoroughly equipped. That's what the Bible says. So I want to be thoroughly equipped, don't you? I don't want to be outgunned or outmanned in any way. I want to know that there's victory and that my victory is imminent. So that's why we're studying this. And it goes along a little bit with what we just preached about and then our next series that we're starting on Sunday called Unmasked, I think is going to really help and go a little bit farther as well. And uh, we'll see where we go from here. The Bible says, or excuse me, our outline says, there are three powers at work in the earth today. God's power, man's power, and demon power. Most people, including Christians, are only familiar with human power. We must understand all three. So the one we're going to start with tonight is this whole idea of demon power. Demons go by several different names in the Bible. Devils, unclean spirits, and evil spirits. All of these terms refer to the same thing. You know, in the Bible, the Scripture refers to the Holy Spirit as Holy Spirit and Holy Ghost and Spirit of God. In the same way, demonic spirits have maybe different aspects of how they uh, react and respond, but the terminology may differ, but it's pointing to the same thing as it pertains to the demonic. It says we will use these the terms devils or demons uh, and the devil interchangeably as we go throughout this study. So let's talk about this. The definition, a demon is a disembodied spirit or evil power and assignment seeking to hinder God's plan and destroy man's life. That's when you when you look at this this uh the fact that demons are real, but they are of a spirit origin. They work to make God look like a liar. Now, remember, we just really unmasked that in, uh, in Genesis 3. There are countless demons, and they know their time is short. Their captain is Satan, formerly known as Lucifer. 
Now, who, who's willing to read a little bit? Who's willing to read? Who, who is all right? I know Jan Ellis is because I didn't ask her. All right, Amy Michaels is, is willing to read. So here's what I'm going to do. Will you do Ezekiel 28, 12 through 19 in just a minute? And then, Amy, I would ask you to do Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. All right, those two passages of Scripture. Now, before you read, let me begin to set this up a little bit. First off, Satan is a created being. He is not God's equal. He's not, a, he's not a, 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 another God in the sense that he has creative power. He's not another God in that he's God's, uh, um, God's as I said, equal in, in, in an opposite way. Um, he was created by God, and he had a role. He had a responsibility, and so we'll find that out in just a second. His original name, and I taught on this not too long ago, at least part of this, was Lucifer, which means light bearer. Now, something interesting that Jesus taught us that we were to be salt and light, he told us that we're to let our light so shine. And one of our great commands is to worship God. The, the, the great commandment is love the Lord, love, love your neighbor, but then him shall you worship or him shall you, shall you serve. In the atmosphere of worship, there, it really, at least light bearing and worship exaltation going to God gives you two fronts with which why the enemy fights you so much as a Christian. Number one, if his original name meant light bearer, and now he's not, he is the Lord of darkness, you replace him in the context of bearing light to the glory of God. Secondly, your call to worship and the thing that you'll do throughout eternity is worship God. The atmosphere of heaven is worshiping God. Also, his assignment as the worship leader of heaven, we'll read this in a minute, now you have. Now you own that. You are God's worship. You're the one that worships God. So therefore, on those two fronts, the enemy sees you as his replacement. But being in his place, he wanted to exalt himself you being in your rightful place, we exalt God. We know he's the one to be exalted, not us, not our gifts, not our talents, not any of that sort of thing. So so that's just an interesting thing. So here's what I'm going to do. Before I look at the rest of these points, I want to have Jan to read Ezekiel 28, verses 12 through 19. So I'm going to pull them up so that I can see them as well. Go ahead. Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect for beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. The sardis, topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee... So thou wast upon the holy mountain of God, thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created, till iniquity was found in thee. 
By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings, that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that beheld thee. All, so, go ahead. Okay, go one ahead. more verse. All they that know, know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror, and never shalt thou be any more. So, there's a, there's a theological terminology for what's happening right here, and we won't go into all of that. But the, the prophet is speaking specifically to a king. In fact, if you look in previous chapter, you'll recognize that he is speaking to the king. But then he begins to prophesy against the motivator behind the king. And the motivator behind the evil that the king of Tyre. Remember when Jesus said, if the, the same works were done in Tyre and Sidon that were done in you, they would have repented? You, you have to understand the level of evil that he is equating to that generation when he's rebuking them about the works because they saw the evil of Tyre and Sidon and this prophecy, they could read this passage of scripture already about how evil not only the king of Tyre was but the motivator behind him equating him to the fallen cherub called Lucifer. So you have to understand, you see how potent that scripture becomes when you see it in context of what's behind uh, the evil. And so the prophet begins to not just speak to the king, but speak and bring revelation to the origin of Satan, where he's from and what happened, where did all this mess come from. So anyway, uh, if, if you'll go to Amy back there, we're going to go to Isaiah 14, chapters 12, or excuse me, Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 14. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did, didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. So here he goes. He said, he was once the most anointed angel, the chief of angels, the anointed cherub that covereth. Beautiful, full of wisdom, perfect from his creation. He was heaven's worship leader. He was lifted up in pride, became filled with violence, corrupt, uh, corrupted his wisdom and defiled his sanctuary. Therefore God called him profane and cast him out of the mountain of God and promised to destroy him. God cast him to the ground and promised to bring forth a fire from the midst and devour him. Lucifer's sin began in his heart. He had five eye wheels. Now remember, remember me 
sharing with you that the enemy begins in thought or that inner person, that inner you. When the Bible talks about your heart, it's not talking about that thing beats in your chest. It's talking about the center seat of your identity. Uh, so in the inner seat of your identity, this internal you is where the enemy starts the conversation. In other words, he goes back to the place that, the, that he began to have the conversation with himself internally that he would exalt himself. So he knows that the way to get to you is come to your center seat. That is his avenue of communication. So if he comes to the center seat, he wants to begin to speak to you and talk to you from there and thus speaking to you from that specific point, it, it really is where the conversation has to, has to be dealt with. So where did, I, where did I stop right there? So here's the I will statements. He said, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mountain of the congregation. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will be like Most High God. Interesting. I don't know if you've ever talked to uh, someone about uh, kind of, an, and I don't mean this as a diss from, to, to business people, not at all, but it's interesting to me that when people are being interviewed, they want to know what you will do. Now, nothing wrong telling your qualifications, nothing wrong of being confident in yourself, but sometimes there's a fine line between confidence in yourself and arrogance in yourself. Confidence in yourself comes from something different than arrogance. Confidence comes from identity. You know who you are in God, what God has done in your life. Arrogance comes from self-madeness. It comes from a selfish self-motivation. It comes with an exaltation of self through the putting down of others. Really, the, most of the time in context, it's a, 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 condescending, a condescending to other people in the way that you frame that. So the enemy... The enemy makes these I will statements. They are very, very dangerous statements. Look, uh, but in the midst of that, you know, we saw him, he's cast down. Luke, another portion of your scripture here, says in Luke 10 and 18, Jesus said, and I said to them, I saw, and he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So you see where his rebellion was, but then Jesus said, I saw him fall like lightning. His rebellion lasted a split second before he was cast out of heaven like a bolt of lightning. Satan took a third of the angels with him in the rebellion. And uh, so, so Revelation, Revelation chapter 12 verse 4 says, the tail uh, drew a third of Satan of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth and the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth uh, to devour her, ch her child as soon as it, excuse me, let me back up. That ain't what it said. To devour her child as soon as it was born. So again, there's a little bit of a correlation in there in terms of his tail and there's, there's other places where we could mention this, but let me, let me just share with you something here. It says at the, the next one, 
uh, that he is still a cunning and violent creature. He is defeated, but he is not to be contended with in the strength of man, in your own strength. Even Michael, the archangel, did not contend with him in his own strength, but said, the Lord rebuke you in Jude 9. So, so now we got a little bit of idea of the devil, a little bit of an idea of his origin. There's multiple questions we could ask ourselves. I'm not going to go into the full-on doctrine here. But so, so we see that, but that begs a question now. Who, who are demons? What is the origin of demons? So let's talk about this for just a minute. The origin of lesser demons is not as clear as Lucifer. There are three major teachings on the origin of these satanic underlings. And we want to look at them a little bit. And again, I've heard multiple teachings on different ones of these. And the Bible is not extremely clear on all of these. And I think i got a reason why here in just a few minutes, but... First off, some believe that, that the demons are fallen angels. One common teaching is that unclean spirits, demons, are the fallen angels that rebelled with Lucifer in heaven. And the Bible says, everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. You see that? The scripture says, then he will also say to those at his left hand, depart from you, from me, you cursed into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So, I mean, you know, that's good news because hell wasn't prepared for me. I heard somebody say the other day, it's pretty powerful. Uh, a man was talking to his barber, and barber was a believer but a little bit confused because he was hearing all kinds of different thoughts and ideas. And he said, how could God? Send somebody to hell. And he's like, wait, what, well, hold on a minute. I think God is good in that he would quarantine all evil. And he used the words quarantine in the midst of all the stuff that's going on, that God would quarantine evil. And that in that quarantine, I think it's also good that God wouldn't force anybody to live with him forever that don't want to live with him temporarily. I thought, man, that's good. I'm going to stick that in my pocket and use that over and over again. Isn't that powerful? So there's one thought that that may be the case. The second thing is the disembodied pre-Adamites. So how many of you all ever heard of the pre-Adamic race? few of you studied, studied Scripture. There's an idea, a thought, that people lived before Adam on the earth. It's called the pre-Adamic race. Um, and there's different thoughts and ideas behind that. Uh, but here's what that teaching says. Another common teaching is that demon spirits are the spirits of a race of beings that lived on the earth before Adam and Eve and were judged for rebelling with the fallen angels. So there's some people that believe that. And they've got 
A little bit of scripture here, a little bit of scripture here. And the same with the first, but here's the last one. It's the disembodied Nephilim. How many have ever heard of the Nephilim? All right. So the Nephilim are giants. And here's what is believed about the Nephilim. They are the offspring of the angels that rebelled with Lucifer that intermingled with human beings uh, in Genesis 6. So here it is, a third teaching states that demon spirits are the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim. Nephilim are the offspring of the fallen angels uh, and women as Genesis 6 relates. But here's the statement I want to get you to. Ultimately, it does not matter where they come from because the born-again believer still has authority over them to cast them out, rebuke them, and to resist them. So it doesn't matter where you believe they came from. How many of you know that's true? I believe that the Bible doesn't go into the depth of teaching on that to keep us from, from deep demonic uh, indulgence. I think the superiority of God and the superiority of his offspring God's offspring, his people, is the better focus. And that's what the Bible does. So let's talk about this, though, the demon nature. Their sole ambition is to pervert, hinder, hunt, and destroy us. They never sleep nor slumber. They are more familiar with us than we are with them. But the Bible says in Ephesians 6 and 11, for us to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, which means trickery or strategies of the devil. In other words, the New Testament talks about the devil and talks about demons. There are people in this New Testament age that doesn't teach or ever talk about demons or the devil. They omit those things because they don't want people to get upset and they don't want people to be fearful and they don't want people to deal with the reality of what's going on. About. And if you delete the enemy, you get to always blame another person or a group of people. So instead of us blaming Democrats or Republicans, black or white, this group or that group, north or south, we ought to recognize that our battle is not against flesh and blood. We can easily be baited in, and I understand why. So here's another. In 2 Corinthians 2 and 11 says, lest Satan should get an advantage, that means to outwit us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. That means his schemes or purpose. So let's talk about this just a little bit. Everybody Okay. These two verses indicate that our adversary has tricks, strategies, wiles, schemes, purpose, and devices, all designed to hurt mankind. How many remember when we started this last series, I told you at the very onset, the devil is not your friend. He really wants to, if you could think of the worst murder ever, and, I, man, there's some scary ones. My wife does something on Sundays that freaks me out sometimes a little bit. I don't understand it. I mean, I like the show, too. She goes home. She always takes a Sunday afternoon nap. You know what she puts it on? 
snapped. I'm like, I hope you like hearing that lady's voice and it's soothing to you because these creepo murderers that it's talking about is like freaking me out a little bit. <laughs> like, what you planning, girl? <laughs> Y'all have been praying for me. I've made it half of the week without her. Got the rest of the week to go. Uh, anyway, uh, the enemy is not our friend. We need to recognize that. The Bible implores us not to be ignorant of our enemy. Here's a brief description of our enemy. And you need to know your enemy. If you ever go to a uh, military institution where officer training, one of the things you'll have to know in officer training is the study of every war pretty much that has ever been and the different strategies that were taken in order to win those wars. Because you got to know how some enemies fight. you got to know how they strategize to do it. And being able to study those well and study the psychology and the philosophical ideology behind it helps to give a leg up when you are planning an offensive. And I'm saying an offensive because if you look at the Scripture about the armor of God... None of that, none of the armor of God is a, a covers your backside and a defensive runaway. It's all offensive. It's all off. Even the shield of faith is not intended to be defensive. Oh, I want to just duck and keep it back. It is, I am walking forward with my sword of the spirit and anything you throw at me while I'm walking forward is not going to work. Anyway, so just as human personalities, just as humans are personalities, demons have personalities. And they will make you what they are if you yield to them. Anger, jealousy, numbers, numbers, uh, let, me, let me go to numbers here. The, the book of numbers, where am I at? Numbers chapter 5. It's talking about the spirit of jealousy. It says, if the spirit of jealousy comes up on him and he becomes jealous of his wife, although she has not defiled herself. The Bible calls this spirit of jealousy. Now, some would think it's just a, a, a guy being protective over his girl, but the Bible calls it a spirit of jealousy. Uh, but there's different ones of lust, of, of homosexuality, of hypnotism, of uncleanness, Matthew 12 and 43, confusion, etc. So the enemy, the, these demons have personalities. Yielded to them, then they begin to manifest what they do. So demons lack bodies. So they seek to possess a body. Human bodies gives demons their widest range of expression. Let's go to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. Uh, 8. Is that what I have? Mark chapter 5. I actually got Mark chapter 5, 8 through 9. Jan, I'm going to let you read that one. J yes, 8 and 9. I know I've only got 8 here in your outline, but I, I went ahead and included 9 today. Go ahead. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. 
And he asked him, what is thy name? And he answered saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. So when, when you take a look at this passage of Scripture, you also ultimately know that the Bible calls it the demoniac of Gadara. And this individual is, is manifesting in ways that the Bible says he strips off all of his clothes, he lives among tombs, he breaks chains. He's crazy. This, this man is absolutely what some calls, in fact, I've seen translations call him a lunatic. Uh, so it, it's, it's almost in that way, but, but that's demonic expression being expressed in its most extravagant, should, that's probably the wrong word, but in the most expressive way. So let's, let's look at 925. It says, when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you to come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly and came out of him, and he became as one dead so that many said, He is dead. The point that I'm trying to make here in this passage of Scripture is that these spirits lack bodies so they pursue one. So... Before I go on to this a little bit more, and we'll, we'll get into this a little deeper later on. This is just a setup. We've got five of these teachings going to take us deep into this. But I want to set something up here for you to kind of to get this. Some would say, can I just be automatically demon-possessed? The answer is no. Some would say, well, then how do I become or demon-possessed or demon-oppressed? How does that happen? Here's how it happens. Agreement, alignment. Agreement, alignment. It's, it's, it's how you walk in agreement with it, how you walk in alignment with its perversion or its, its, its actions. M- much like when, when somebody wants to be filled with the Holy Spirit, how many know the devil has a counterfeit to the authentic? And so he will mimic God. He, he can't come up with a strategy on his own. He has to mimic God. And what he does to mimic God is deal with alignment and agreement. When you come up with the agreement by faith that God's word is true, that his Holy Spirit is real, when when you come into that agreement and then you align yourself in pursuit, God saves you, God will baptize you in the Holy Ghost, God will do gifts of the Spirit in your life, It's agreement and alignment. Once you agree with God, agree with his word, that is true by faith. You receive his word and you do that. You come into agreement and alignment with it, whether it's repenting, whether it's requesting for baptism of the Holy Spirit, that yielding that you hear us talk about all the time. When you do that, the Holy Spirit comes and manifests in your life. Well, much the same way, when you come into agreement with with the way the enemy works, in rebellion against God. Now, one would say to me, I don't just rebel against God. Uh, it's just my nature. The Bible says that our human nature is the enemy of God. It, it's enmity against God. It's hostile against God. When we give that human nature to alignment in the way that the enemy rebels against God, then we open a door. And then when our actions follow up in that alignment in a persistent way, 
It's only a matter of time before manifestation. Okay? So let's go on. They are patient and well-planned, having strategies and intellect. So let's look at Ephesians 6, 11 again. Ephesians 6 and 11. And I actually threw in 12 with that. The Bible says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the trickery of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, and against the ruler of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickednesses in heavenly places. So here's what you need to know. The enemy has a strategy. He has an intellect. And his order, principalities, powers, we sometimes think this is a name for the same thing, but it's actually a functioning order. We'll get into that later on. 2 Corinthians 2 and 11 says, Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant concerning his devices. That whole idea again of how he might take advantage of us. And then... 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9. I went ahead and included 9. Watch this. It says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Watch this. Resist him steadfastly in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are expressed by your brotherhood in the world. In other words, everybody goes through the idea of the, or the, the fact that the devil is out to steal, kill, and destroy, take advantage. But the Bible says, resist him steadfastly in the faith. Remember somebody says, submit yourself there. The scripture says, submit yourself therefore unto God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Well, how do I resist him? Well, this scripture tells you, resist him steadfastly in the faith. Now, I'm going to give you a real simple way, but every time you're operating in faith toward God, you are in essence resisting the enemy. That's so good. It made me want to preach that one. Their, their number one strategy is to attack the Word of God. How I many know it's not even just about you? You, you made yourself a target when you said, I have the word living in me. How many of you know Jesus is the word that became flesh? So because he lives in you, the enemy attacks the word. Genesis 3 and 1, we just read that just recently. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, God, or has God indeed said? You shall surely not eat of every tree of the garden. The attack was on the word of God, the legitimacy of the word of God. Mm. They are organized into rank and file. Uh, Amy, will you go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12? We read that just a few minutes ago, but I want you to hear it again. Somebody else's voice may land this a little bit deeper into your heart. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness in this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. 
this, this whole idea of rank and file, uh, the reason the enemy wants to march in rank and file and cause confusion among us because he's trying to come against a more superior army. And him trying to come against a more superior army if he can cause confusion. How many know God used this on him? If you know your Old Testament, you'll know that God confused the enemy before. But to create confusion, that if he would just walk in rank and file, there potentially might be a victory. So we need to talk about that as we move forward. They are hopelessly evil and cannot be redeemed. They are awaiting their ultimate destruction. Somebody says, well, why can't the devil be redeemed? You need to understand he sinned in eternity and you sinned in time. You sin in eternity, it's hopelessly hopelessly lost. You sin in time and you have redemption through Christ Jesus. Matthew 8 and 29. And suddenly they cried out saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? There's a time awaiting that all of them will be judged eternally. And later on we'll study where they go to when they're judged but they're hopelessly lost. They cannot be redeemed and they know judgment is coming. In fact, I would submit to you that because they know judgment is coming, they know their time is short. So I would argue maybe a little bit that that's why you see an increase of evil. Demons are not spirits of dead humans. That's another thought. Charles Manson's spirit is alive and well. No. Well, he acts just like him. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know who you're talking about, but, you know, that guy was crazy. <sighs> because the Bible says in Hebrews 9 27, and as it is appointed for man to die once, but after this, the judgment. Your, your dead relatives are not walking around waiting to be demons or angels. You know these sweet little sayings, mama got her wings? No, she didn't. I know those are sweet sayings about death, but they're not theologically correct. Because when you go to heaven and you're seated with God, your assignment will at some point be to judge angels. And you, oh, I can't preach this. I got to talk and set this all up for all we got to learn here in a little bit. <laughs> I hope I didn't offend anybody right there. I know there's some sweet sayings when people say that. And I know there's some kind things. And I know what's trying to be expressed is somebody's kindness that, that, that mama or daddy or whoever went on to heaven or something. But if you're going to be theologically correct, we don't go from here to angel status. That's not how God does it. 
That's not how he's getting more angels. That's not how that works. So, anyway, in, on the negative end of it, once, once, someone's die, once someone dies, there's judgment. And just so you know, let me share something with you. Isaiah chapter 5, verses 13. It's not in your notes. I put this down here just earlier, but it says, Isaiah chapter 5, verse 13, 14 says, Therefore my people have gone into captivity because they have no, they have no knowledge. Their honorable men are uh, uh, famished and their multitude dried up with thirst. Therefore, hell has enlarged itself and opened its mouth. Or it says, if you have a modern translation, likely your Old Testament will use the word sheol, which is the Hebrew word translated for hell. It's the equivalent of the Greek word Hades, which means hell. Uh, so if you have a modern translation that says, my Bible, there's no such thing as hell. My Bible says Hades. And Hades, and you'll start naming places and geographical locations. But if you really do a study in the original, it is the abyss that God created for <laughs> the devil and his angels. Okay? So he says, hell has enlarged itself and opened its mouth beyond measure, their glory and their multitude and their pomp, and he who is jubilant shall descend into it. That doesn't mean he that's just happy. So is hell a real place and do people get judged immediately? Do they go there? Yes. Luke chapter 16. Do you remember the story of the rich man that died? What does the Bible say in Luke 16? In hell, he lifted up his eyes. Not in a waiting place and not as a demon, he lifted up his eyes. In hell, he lifted up his eyes. We good? Demons have will and want. They have will and want. Check this out. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34 and 35. Verses 34 and 35 says, When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking to find rest. He wants a place to rest. Then he says... I will return to my house from whence I come. And when he come, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. So shall it be also with this wicked generation. That's incredible. In Mark chapter 5, the demons, they, wanted, they had a different will. They wanted to go into swine. Cast us into swine. Don't, don't do anything but cast us into the swine. So they have wills and they have wants. They have desires. There's no new demons. There's not a demon factory in hell making newer models. Okay? That's good news. Demons, however, will make you what they are and remember they are very perverted against the will of God. They, perversion just simply means a different version. An intended version of perversion is a different version of that. 
demons want to make a different version of God's original intent of a version that he has made you. Demons can transform them, form themselves into angels of light. How many know he hadn't forgotten how? Prove it, Pastor. Okay, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen through 15 says, No wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. Somebody say unmasked. <laughs> Your works will tell on you, right? The enemy's works will tell on him. All right, next thing. Demons have doctrines they seek to get into the church. Did you know that? 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 2 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared like a hot iron. So when we live in the last time, we got to understand there are demons that are seeking to pervert the truth of the gospel. I'm thankful that you can know the authentic gospel because in the wake of the authentic gospel, you have transformed lives, new creations. If you hear a gospel that gives you permission to stay just like you are, you've heard a perverted gospel because we are being transformed into the image of his dear son. If that you're hearing a word that doesn't continue to shape you in the image of his dear son, you might be listening to doctrines of devils. You, you have to, and you have to be careful because, man, these things are so engaged intellectually. All right, let's go to the next thing. Demons cannot be cast into hell, nor do they come from hell. I cast you back into hell where you belong. Those are great statements, but God's going to do that. You can remove them from where they are, but you can't send them to hell. They are bound to the earth for this season. They roam dry places when they are cast out. So what happens when, when, it, when the enemy is cast out? Goes through dry places, so what should our end be? Keep the door shut on him. Keep the door shut on the enemy. Steadfastly resist him in the faith. Submit yourself to God. Resist him steadfastly in the faith. He will flee from you. That's good news, right? Demons may depart from you, but they are very likely to return after a season and check out the availability of your life. We done read those scriptures. So, we do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but we wrestle with the, this demon realm. But here's good news. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Let us charge forward with great confidence and victory. The Bible says, 1 John 4 and 4, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. 
So as we begin to unmask some things here, unlock some things, I'm touching the wrong one. I have a touch screen and the other one I have to scroll the pad so I'm getting confused here. So the other one we have to... Uh, we have to unmask this a little bit so that we can begin to understand, okay, I realize they're real. I don't really know where they came from. I know the devil's behind it all. I know that he's really trying to steal, kill, and destroy, and I recognize the battlefront. Now I want to know how am I equipped so that I can walk in victory? How am I equipped to walk in victory? Now here's what I want to say to you. First off, here's the first thing that I'm going to give you today. Or here's the thing that I want to give you today. Do not be afraid of the devil. Respect that he is real. Respect means, what I mean by when I say respect, realize, acknowledge, recognize. But don't be afraid. Well, he, he deceived Eve. What if he comes to me? Listen, God gave you 66 books. God gave you the Holy Spirit. With the Word of God and with the Spirit, his, the enemy's plan is unmasked and his power is overmatched. Your power over just absolutely, he, he's so undermatched in the arena of warfare, just don't walk in the carnality of your flesh. Walk in the Spirit. Take authority in the Spirit. Live in the Spirit. Walk it out. Be close to the Holy Spirit. Let God's Spirit walk inside of you and, and live in you. And I promise you, the enemy is not that hard to overcome. In fact, in the arena of the things that you will wrestle with the most, I'll tell you the, who the hardest enemy is to defeat. Right here. That person you look in the mirror at every day, that's the toughest battle. You rebuke the devil in the name of Jesus, he's defeated. You resist him steadfastly in the faith, he has nothing to stand on. But you, on the other hand, me, on the other hand, when we have to tell ourselves no when we have to tell ourselves something different we don't like that and that's and that's the hardest one so let me help you to understand something you have god seeking for yielding of yourself to him for the purpose of blessing you and taking you higher back into your redemptive created value and you have an enemy that's seeking to devour you, to which one will you agree? And you would say, well, I don't want to agree with anyone because it's too hard to live for God and it's too scary to live for the devil. To not choose is to choose. To not choose is to choose. So, let's talk a little bit. It's 8.15. Your kids are still back there getting snockered in the Holy Ghost. So, 
share with me something that's on your heart and on your mind right now. Do you have any questions? If I don't know the answer, I'm going to give it to Jan. Okay. Demons are not the spirit of dead humans. Wouldn't that negate the whole pre-Adamic race theory anyway? It would. It would. Uh, definitely. Uh, again, there, there's three ideas that float around in Christendom. I put them in there because depending on who you listen to. Look, right now in Christendom, Christian, the Christian faith by and large in Western world goes through phases. So let me qualify that statement real quickly. We go through the faith movement phase. We go through the uh, uh, prosperity gospel phase. Especially in charismatic circles, spirit-filled churches go through these, these phases whereby you hear about faith and then we take it to the extreme to an unbiblical way sometimes. We hear about we hear about prosperity, and then it swings to a name it, claim it, an un, unhealthy way. The current movement in the culture is deliverance, okay? It, it's, it's happening everywhere. And I understand why, because people need to be delivered. But at the same time, depending on which deliverance teacher you talk, you listen to, you'll hear some of their ideas of where the, the, the spirits come from. And if you don't have right teaching on it, you won't have pr right practices on it. So you're totally correct in that being able to take the scriptures and recognize when the, when the Bible places emphasis. And again, this is it's, it's easier to study probably uh, heaven, it's probably easier to study the fullness of the Holy Spirit than it is the demonic because I personally believe that God left that to the place of superiority of his people and of his spirit. In other words, it's more important for you to learn about grace, baptism of the Holy Spirit, the things of God than it is to learn about the enemy. Not that he didn't leave him out, and, and I know there's a large portion in the New Testament that deals with the demonic, but that doesn't make the focus the demonic. In fact, if you look at the Scripture, the centrality of the Scripture is the superiority of Christ, not the superiority of the devil. So when we're studying the Scripture, when we're going through these things, we have to land at the superiority of Christ and the inferiority of the devil and the inferiority of self. So that's a great observation. I think that, that, that goes with good Bible study of, of really looking, looking into those things. Now, again, I could probably give you another reason why some of these guys would negate that a little bit, but again, they landed heavy on the idea. Mark. Mark Karwaski might give me a little bit of an amen on this one because I believe pre-Adamic race, day-age theory, and some other ideas is an attempt 
to legitimize some areas of science that argue for a millions of years existence of the earth. I lost some of you right there, but I just believe some of those ideas come from the thought that because we have insufficient study of carbon depositing, I believe there's sufficiency in that. But because some people think that the idea of carbon deposits, the way that the strata in the earth is thought of or studied out, and in the idea, help me, in the idea of non-observable science, the best you get to is theory. When you accept a theory as a truth, then you got to have supporting ideas behind it. And if you, in my opinion, if you're not a a good study in the scripture, somebody that sounds real smart will sell you something and then you feel like you got a compromise in the Bible and then find your answer for that compromise. I personally believe that there's a little bit of that going on, but with that and a quarter, I might get you a cup of coffee. Does that, make sense? Does that sound like a fair defense of that, Mark? I know Mark is a young earth believer. Uh, so, And again, there's latitude in those areas. We're not going to go to hell because you believe the, the earth would be longer. I, I don't believe that. I, I, I just don't believe that. But however, I would challenge, I would challenge us to really look at some responsible science as it pertains to uh, observableness. So, for instance, do you got a quick second? Let me just give you for one, and I've heard this one many times. A good one that people will use is the Grand Canyon. Think about the Grand Canyon. The Colorado River flows through the Grand Canyon. In an observable way, the Colorado River has flowed through the Grand Canyon at a certain speed in a certain way over a period of time, and the level of it cutting into the surface of the earth is very minimal. So with that being said, they say, okay, let's just add that up. If that it cuts through the earth over the 100 years of observableness, only one inch to get this kind of canyon, it would have to flow millions of years to get there. Well, you weren't there and you don't know because what you're assuming is that the Colorado River has always flown at this level, at this time, at this speed, with that much volume. And I would argue, wait a minute, <laughs> there's a whole idea of a flood that you're finding shells on the top of the Andes Mountains. And when it's flown, there's had to be a rush at a level at a time. And you're talking about the Ice Age, which I believe there was an Ice Age. And cutting through, you can't just assume that it flowed at this level all the time. But the other one sounds like such a believable theory. Again, it's a theory. And if you accept that as a theory and then start moving from there out, you'll try, to, you'll try to appropriate, you'll struggle with coming up with the truth of God's word and believing it at its value and how somebody tells you that your Bible's wrong or it should have been a different way or it's a different way than that. That's a long answer. But did it help somebody? Did that really help somebody? I mean, hopefully it did a little bit. Where do I land on all of that? I'm going to just trust God's word.
I, I, and I know somebody else would say that, but there's just some things I just feel like it'd be a waste of time to argue over. Uh, anybody else have a question? Yes, sir. Hang on. Let, let him get that. First, I want to admit that I'm guilty of, you know, something be on me or bother me that I cast you back into hell where you came from. You know, it was kind of just when you said that we don't have that authority that God's going to come back one day and the Lord's going to come back one day and do that for us. You know, that's my, but here's, here's my question. This is, this just got me thinking and I never, never realized that. And I, and I like that story, you know, where he cast the spirit into the swine and swine just rushed to the ocean. But when the spirit asks, he says, Lord, well, first of all, Jesus himself don't even know the day that he's coming back, if I'm not mistaken, correct? He said, no man knows but the Father okay. in heaven. But the Spirit asked, he said, didn't he, did you say he asked? Permit us to go into the swine? Uh, no, he said. Why have you tormented us before the why, time? Why have you come before our, our time? So the, the, the spirits know the time? I don't think the spirits knows the time. I know that there's a time coming. I don't think they think it was yet because he hasn't been crucified and the plan of God being revealed. What I do believe that 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 basically uh, in terms of that, I think they thought they were he was coming for them, but specifically he was coming to rescue that man. He would deal with them later. What time was he talking about? I don't think he even knows. He just knows there's a time of judgment. Just like, again, we know that there's a time of judgment coming. We know, and, and, and of course, we read a few minutes ago in the Scriptures the prophetic understanding that he would be reserved for judgment. The, the, the Ezekiel Scripture said that he would be judged. So did the Isaiah Scripture talk about him being judged. So they knew that judgment was coming for them. The revealing of him from the realm of the spirit through with which they saw and his superiority and his godness, I believe, my personal belief is that uh, they are awaiting. The Bible talks about they're awaiting for that uh, judgment. So I think them seeing him, the assumption was, uh-oh, it's judgment time for us. Or could be. Or is it, are you before the time? I personally, I don't receive that as them knowing. I receive that as them. I think that it shows how confused they really are. Who else has a question? Who's ready to go home? <laughs> Anybody online, let me look right fast here. Make sure nobody's saying, hey, pastor, what's going on? Yes, ma'am. church and I've heard people say you know when they pray with someone else to command that spirit to come out and then go back go back your assignments over go back to how where you came from so because <laughs> I pray with people for several different things how do you effectively, do you just command them to come out? Well, here's, here's the deal. Here's what I would say. Let's, let's, let's take in the reality of the fact, and, and I'll, this is a long answer, but I'm going to try to do it as quick as I can. 
Let's say, for instance, if we could say, go back to hell where you belong. Why would we not right now tonight say every demon and devil in hell go back to hell where you belong and we be done with that? So first off, we know that that's not reality. Secondly, we know that the teaching of Jesus is that it goes through dry places. What I know is that Jesus told them to go into swine. What I know from this standpoint is I don't want them in the people that are here nor in somehow manifesting in this place. So cast them out of here. Now, again, and I think, I think, you know, and I know that we use hell in a metaphorical way and in a reality. Meta metaphorical way. If I say, man, I've been, I have walked through hell all week long. Now, I'm not trying to cuss in that. Please don't think that I am. What I am specifically talking about is so many things that the enemy tried to destroy my life. That I don't mean the literal place called hell because that would be an impossibility. So I feel like sometimes we metaphorically say go back to hell where you belong, but we don't have the authority to send him back to actual hell because it's not judgment time as of yet. It, it will be. All I know is that Jesus said, come out of him, and with a loud scream it came out. I don't know if he told it to go in. We do know the one where he said, go into the swine. But the other ones, I don't know. What I know is it came out of the people that had the deaf and dumb or the, or the blind or whatever. I, I don't know. Now, some of these guys will teach, you got to tell it where to come out and exactly where to go, Okay. Now, that's where I feel like telling them to go is what you said. That's what I feel like telling them to go. But in all reality, again, I don't have that authority. So if I'm going to try to stay biblical, I just want them out of that individual and away from them. Like I say, there's some guys, y'all have heard of Bob Larson. Barb Larson says, you awaken them, you tell them to come out, tell them not to hide, and tell them where to go. Well, again, that sounds good, but that's not every biblical situation. That's not every biblical thing that we've been given when it comes to dealing with the demonic. We do know this, that we probably ought to teach the individual, do not open yourself back up again. Don't ever open yourself back up again to this, this enemy. I, I feel like our attention doesn't need to be on the enemy. It needs to be back on people. We get him out and then turn our attention on people. I'm supposed to disciple you. So to make sure that this never happens again, you better resist him steadfastly in the faith. You better walk in the things of God, get discipled, learn, and get away from everything that the enemy's using in sin to get into your life. I believe that's the, that's the better way to do that. So I, I don't know if I'm answering that real well, but I, I get the metaphorical Go, go back to hell where you belong. I get that metaphorical. Go back to that destructive place where you belong. So, uh, I've got a question here. I'm sorry. You know what I need to do? I need to appoint one of you guys to be the watcher on this and, and uh, work through some of our questions for us a little bit here because, unfortunately, this is getting tied up into my... The, so we have lower thirds. We've got automatic lower thirds that in case anybody that's listening that might would be deaf, it's translating this in real time. So they can't be, but they can watch. They can watch the captions. But now I can't see because the captions cover some of these questions. Okay. 
Okay, yeah, that's, that, yeah, there's comments. Thank you. Thank you very much. Jan, you're awesome. Thank you. All right. Anybody else have a question before we go? This is a conversation I know we could have all night long. I recognize that. You need to go home and your kids are probably about done. But throughout, if you'll stick in with this teaching with me, I believe that some of your questions will be answered throughout some of this stuff. We'll dig in a little deeper on some of these things that, that, that happen. People get caught up on manifestations. People get caught up on the way that they come out, the way that it, the demons and demonic comes out. And what's the difference between demon possession and we used to call it demon oppression. Some people call it demonization, um, all of those sort of things. We'll deal with those moving forward. In dealing with all this, I want us to leave here with the superiority of Christ. I want us to leave here with our mind stayed upon Christ, not upon the enemy. That's not your fixation. Your fixation is upon the king. And that wraps up this episode of the Covenant Fellowship Podcast. For more information about who we are, please visit us at cfbristol.com or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We hope that you have a blessed day. And as always, just like we find in Isaiah 60, verse 1, we hope you arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you.